really excited to be able to talk in circles this morning. Because that's probably going to happen, which means you will probably have questions. So we use this website called Slido. And you can scan the QR code or go to slido.com on your phone and enter in the code. Uh, and you can ask any question you want. And if it's a hard one, Josh will answer it. And if it's an easy one, I will. Now, I said I'm going to be talking in circles because this is kind of a confusing chapter. So I was like, OK, cool, Josh. You finish up on human sexuality, and I will take the next chapter. And when I popped open one of my favorite commentaries, the very first sentence is, after Paul, Paul finishes talking about marriage, he addresses perhaps one of the most controversial issues in the church. <laughs> awesome. Chapter seven's looking better. No, um, but here's the thing, here's the thing. The point of this morning is I am not going to tell you what to do. Isn't that great? Some of you come to church just expecting the pastor to tell you what to do. I'm not. And for some of you, it's going to make you really mad. <laughs> because some of you just want to be told what to do. But it's not going to happen that way. But what we are going to talk about is who we are. So finish these sentences if you know them. Give me liberty or give me death. Okay, first service was a little bit stronger on that one. All right, live free or? Okay, here we go. My way or the? Thank you. I do what I? That's all of the moms of teenage daughters know that one. That's a you problem. That's a you problem. We live in such an individualistic culture that these phrases are common to the point where they are slogans and mottos for states. Live free or die. New Hampshire's like, I would rather die than pay sales tax on clothing, right? We want to be able to exercise our rights and have freedom to do whatever we want. True? Thank you. I worked with students. I will call you out. Okay. We care about what we want. When we see a speed limit and we don't like it, we get upset. When somebody places a rule or re regulation in front of us that we think is unfair, we think it's unfair. We don't like to be told what to do. Our human nature says, I do what I want. And this is the place where the Corinthian church found themselves. And so we're going to read through all of chapter 8, 13 whole verses. And then we'll dive in and look at each one individually. So I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And it'll be up on the screen. If you have your Bible with you and you have a different translation, some of the words might be a little bit different. But the message is the same. Now about food sacrifice to idols. Immediately all of you are like, oh, I've been waiting for you to preach on this topic. Food sacrifice to idols, big hang up. Okay, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food sacrificed to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, or as there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father. 
all things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. I just hear the attitude of the Corinthians being like, duh, we know this, Paul. Or Paul's saying, I know that you know this. Okay. However, this is where Paul gets spicy. Not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat it, and we are not better off if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours is in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat the food offered to idols? And so the weak person, the brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Let's pray. God, would you take our time together and use it for your glory? Lord, would you open up our hearts and our ears to hear what you have for us, that the words that I speak would not get in the way of what you want to communicate to us this morning, Lord, that we would be forever changed because of what you want to speak to us, God. Thank you for your presence here this morning. Would you guide us? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is not a sermon on being a vegetarian. I love bacon. I will continue to eat meat. Thank you. So if we're not talking about eating meat, what does this whole chapter have to do with anything in our current culture and climate? So he's talking about food sacrifice to idols. Now, I want to differentiate for a second because this is very, very important. For the past several weeks, we have been talking about several moral issues, right? Things that are legally right and wrong, things that are biblically stated as permissive or not, those are moral issues. There is a definite right and wrong, right? And we, while, while we still sometimes disagree on them or interpret them differently, like the Bible explicitly says this or that, or the law explicitly says this or that. What we're talking about today is non-moral issues. So if a moral issue has a right and a wrong, a non-moral issue has a it depends. Isn't that fun? And so we enter into the conversation that was one of the most controversial in the history of the church, dating all the way back to the Corinthian church, and that is, how do we live in society well? How do we live our lives practicing our freedom that we have in Christ appropriately? Because if I am free to do something, I would like to do it. But it's not always that easy, is it? So instead of talking about food sacrifice to idols, I imagine that if Paul was writing to Curtis Lake Church, he would say, now about the consumption of alcohol at family events. Now about the movies you watch with your friends. Now about the way that you dress. Now about the language that you use. Now about the type of exercise that you do. Now about fill in the blank. When I said all of those things, 
everyone in here had a stance on what they believed about them. And most of us had very different thoughts on it. There was a wide range of agreeing or disagreeing when I said the word alcohol. There was a wide range of, yeah, that's cool, or no, that's not, when I said whatever movies you watch. This is why it's so difficult for us to understand this passage, because Paul doesn't say drinking alcohol is right or wrong. He doesn't say watching movies that contain partial nudity is right or wrong. He doesn't say being a part of a social club that exercises this or that is right or wrong. He responds in a way that asks two questions. And I'm going to keep referring to these over and over again. And just like Annie said that she grew up here and y'all heard Lily's story about growing up here, I am a homegrown Curtis Laker as well. And these are two questions that I was asked over and over and over again in middle school and high school to the point where, so Annie and I grew up here together, in case you can't tell. I said out back to her before service, I said, hey Annie, who does it glorify? And she said, what does it edify? Over and over again, we heard from our youth leaders, who does it glorify and what does it edify? Meaning, are you glorifying God or yourself? And are you building up your own desires or are you building up those around you? Who does it glorify and what does it edify? Because Paul says here, we about, mm, sorry, we all have knowledge. We all have belief systems on all of the things that I've referenced, all of these non-moral issues, we have beliefs about them. We believe that what we believe is right and what they believe is wrong. And if you believe the way that I believe, then you are strong. But if you don't believe the way that I believe, then you are weak. But the problem with this is it's all subjective. And so it leaves a lot of room for tension, confusion, and controversy. But what Paul does start by saying is knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So right off the bat, he says, it is not about making yourself look good. It is about caring for the body of believers around you. And so I just want to set that out there to begin with. Knowledge causes us to swell, and we see that in the Corinthian church. They thought they had it all together. They thought they knew best. They were intelligent. They were educated. They were holy. They knew the scriptures. They were the best. And so they were writing to Paul, I think of it in like Jeopardy style, right? Because we have the answer, so we have to figure out what the question is. So he's writing about food sacrifice to idols, and my guess is the Corinthian church was like, so what is food sacrifice to idols, right? Like they're trying to find out what is the right or wrong thing to say about this, fully believing that they are right. And, and Paul meets them there. He says, about the food sacrifice to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. If you believe that, that is great. And if what you are doing eating this food that's sacrificed to idols, going to the temple for the meal, if that in no way hinders your view of God, your faith journey, by all means. If a friend invites you to dinner and there's meat that's been sacrificed to idols, if it doesn't bother you in the least bit that this food has been sacrificed to idols, then you're free to eat it. If you're 21 and you want to enhance the experience of your dinner, and bolden the flavor of your meal, and you desire to have a glass of red wine with dinner, you're legal, you're 21, or 
over. Okay. However, he doesn't stop here. He gives us a yes, but response. This is where we need to remember this. A yes, but response says, even though I'm free to do something, I might not do it. A few chapters back, Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Paul classifies as some weak Christians and some strong Christians. And here's the tricky part is, you might think that you're strong, but you're actually weak. You might think that you're weak, but you're actually strong. You might think that somebody else is strong. Do you see where I'm going, how I'm talking in circles? I wasn't joking. I'm literally going to talk in circles this morning because this is a confusing topic because it's not a blanket statement. If I was preaching on the Ten Commandments where it said, do not murder, that would be easy. Don't murder. Mic drop. Walk out. But this requires conversation, this requires relationship, this requires discernment, this requires patience, this requires humility, this requires strength. It's a yes, but response. However, the however is referring to you have this knowledge that meat sacrifice to idols isn't going to affect your faith journey at all. However, not everyone has this knowledge. For one reason or another, some people are bothered in their heart by the fact that you are going to a temple to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. It is causing them to stumble. It is causing confusion. It is causing hurt. Yes, you may, but should you. Who does it glorify, and what does it edify? I'm going to try to use many examples because it's not just about alcohol, although that is probably one of the top topics that comes up in this discussion. But let's say you're going to the movies, and this movie is, I just came up with this example right now, so it might not work, but we're going with it. This movie is a war movie, and you and your buddy are going, and you love war movies. Your buddy is a vet. Your buddy struggles with really, really intense PTSD. This movie is going to wreck them. It's fine for me. Do I go or do I not? Who does it glorify and what does it edify? If what I do is going to cause someone else, in this, in verse 7, it says, um, their conscience being weak to be defiled. If my actions are going to harm someone else, is it worth it? How do my choices and my actions affect others? Now hear me out, because this is something I do not want you to think that I'm saying here, because there are ways to misinterpret what we're talking about today. So here are three ways not to apply these verses, okay? To think, I am the strong one, so I hide what I do in front of everyone who I think is weak. No. 
you are the weak one, so let me force my beliefs on you. No. (laughs) I am the weak one, so you should change for me. But unfortunately, that's often how we interpret and where we land on these topics. You should change for me. I should change for you. I'm going to force what I believe on you. They force what they believe on me. I'm just going to hide what I do. But we're not called to live in secrecy. We're not called to advance our own belief. We are called to live in freedom and to walk with Christ. And how we do that when addressing these non-moral issues has a massive implication for those around us. Then I love this caveat. This just seems like such a random verse to throw in there, and I think it's just Paul's trying to keep their attention. Verse 8 says this, Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat it, and we are no better off if we do eat it. I think sometimes we think, oh, because I don't have a problem with drinking alcohol, I am stronger. God must love me more. Or we think, because I've never drank alcohol, I am stronger. God must love me more. And that's not what we're talking about. These non-moral issues, they aren't propelling us closer to God or taking us away from him. There is nothing we can do that will separate us from the love of God. But how we affect either gives God the glory or takes it from him. It either builds others up or it tears them down. So this really is what does it look like to live in Christian community and love people well. Be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. Who's weak? Who's strong? Who's both, depending on what situation we're in? Right? So, okay. I was talking to my husband last night, and I was like, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I'm strong, like sometimes I need to lean on somebody, and sometimes they need to lean on me, and then I was like, lean on me when you're not strong, right? Like, but that song is so good. I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on, for it won't be long till you're going to need somebody to lean on. That's so good. We need each other. But if we're constantly shoving our beliefs about these things down people's throat and making them feel alienated, who are we going to have to lean on when we feel weak? How are the weak going to know how to support the strong? How are we going to walk through life shoulder to shoulder, pressing on towards the goal of knowing Jesus better and making his name known in our world and our community if we're constantly just trying to prove that we're better than everyone? I'm getting excited now. Okay. <laughs> For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister from whom, for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. 
I am over 21, believe it or not. I know, some of you were wondering. I am indeed over 21. It is totally okay for me to go out to dinner and to have a drink. I could have a glass of wine up here if I wanted. There's no law saying I can't have a glass of wine. I'm over 21. But that would be a little confusing, don't you think? See, here's the thing. With a lot of these non-moral issues, they are issues because they have a history of hurt and pain and abuse. These Corinthians were so used to worshiping idols, it's part of who they were. And so by, by going to this temple and eating meat, even though now they're supposed to have this freedom, it still triggers back to the former life. Just like the movie situation. You are not in war anymore. You are not a part of the battle scene you're watching. But man, doesn't it bring up hurt from the past? You are free to drink. You are free to wear what you want to wear. You are free to say what you want to say. But it could be confusing. If you're in a conversation with somebody, or if I'm in a conversation with somebody, and I'm dropping F-bombs all day long because I'm, it doesn't bother me, but that word brings back a really, really hurtful relationship, a time of feeling hopeless and fearful. I take a sip of wine and instantly there are flashbacks to a childhood that you didn't want to remember. It's not about legalism. It's about love. Is what I'm doing building up or tearing down? See, when I worked with teenagers, a lot of the time, we would have to have this type of conversation, right? How close can I get without it being a sin? Like some of you know which roads you can speed on and which ones you can't. Tell me I'm wrong. Some people know, okay, I can have one glass of wine. I should be good. I can watch so much of this type of movie. I can attend this much of a concert. I can listen to this kind of music, and I'll be okay. If I go any further, watch out. <laughs> but I think, I think... I'm really having to fight for my balance right now. I'm good. I haven't fallen, so I'm good. And this is how we approach our lives. Because we think this is where freedom is found. I'm free to do what I want. I have freedom in Christ. I have Christian liberty. Give me liberty or give me death. Give me no taxes or I might as well die. This isn't where freedom is. Freedom isn't saying, how close can I go without falling over? Freedom is saying, how far 
can I run towards the Father? And how close can I get to him? That is where freedom is found. And when you're living in a posture that puts you racing towards God, you're not worried about falling over. You're not tempted by one more thing that could cause you or someone else to stumble. Freedom is found in the arms of our Savior. And I think when, when God wrote in here, you are free to do what you want, it was not to say, do whatever you want. It was to say, you are free to do things that allow you and those around you to experience me. It's not about yes or no with these types of topics. It's about building up or tearing down. It's about loving or hurting. Now, when you sin like this against these brothers and sisters, you wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. I am a mama bear. Do not mess with my children. You mess with my children, you mess with me. And I know I don't look very scary. And I'm not very strong, but I have words. <laughs> and I know you were brought up thinking sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I, that, mm -mm. Knives can come out of this mouth. <laughs> because I love my babies. And Lord have mercy if you do something to hurt one of them. And that's how God feels about his babies. That's how God feels about his children. Every single person in this room, whether you have been in a relationship with Jesus before or never before, guess what? Newsflash, you're a child of God. He created you. He loves you. You can receive it, but he loves you no matter if you have accepted or rejected him. And when I do something that hurts you, I don't know if this is like rude to say, but Papa Bear gets mad. If I do something purposefully knowing that it's going to cause you to stumble, it's going to cause hurt, it's going to bring up a hurtful situation, it's going to cause your faith to weaken, God is like, uh-uh. Because you're not sinning against that person, you're sinning against me. You're hurting my heart. When somebody hurts my baby's heart, it makes my heart hurt. And that's what God is saying here. It doesn't just affect the person. It affects my heart. Because I want for all of my children to walk in freedom. And what you're doing right now is you're causing somebody to be shackled when they've been set free. You're causing somebody to stumble when I have already cleared the path for them to walk in freedom. Who does this action glorify? Are you seeking to glorify God? Or is it just because you can, so you will? Are you building up? Or are you tearing down? Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never eat meat again so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. 
take that in for a second. Are we willing to make such a bold statement as that? If I know that what I'm doing is causing somebody else to stumble, their faith journey is more important than my pleasure. Now, there are things that may not bother those around you. This isn't to say be two-faced, like we talked about at the beginning, right? Like hide what you do from people who are weak. This says meet people exactly where they're at and love them while there. So I have spoken at several places um, outside of here, and it's, it's fun to go and to you know, be around New England and, and to bring God's word there. But there's two questions that I always ask when I go. What's the dress code? And what Bible translation do you use? Because here's the thing. Some of you are so mad right now that I am wearing jeans while preaching. You cannot get over the fact that I am not wearing dress pants or a skirt and pantyhose. (laughs) You haven't been able to focus on a thing I've said because you're like, I can't believe... I could go into this, but I'll say this for some of you. I can't believe there's a woman up there, much less a woman wearing jeans. Let me just tell you, get over it. And some of you, you're so bothered that I'm dressed up wearing a blazer. How dare you make me look underdressed? But I do want to be careful when I go somewhere to present the gospel I know that I can wear jeans up here. I know that I can wear a blazer up here. And for the most part, y'all are going to be okay with it. If not, maybe I'll wear <coughs> pantyhose next time. I don't know. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. No, but for real, that's what Paul is saying. That is the extreme that he says we are to go to. If what you're doing causes someone to stumble, if because I'm wearing jeans on the platform right now has been made you not able to hear one word of scripture, I won't wear jeans on the platform again. You're going to have to buy me a new wardrobe, but I won't do it. <laughs> and I ask about the Bible translation because I want, it, I want you to be able to understand. You know what's frustrating? This is why we put Christian Standard Bible on the Bible verses so that you know where we're reading. Because there's nothing more frustrating than like opening your Bible to read along with somebody and not knowing what they're reading, what version they're reading. Right, like you try to read along and you're like, huh? I don't want to put a stumbling block in anyone's way. So I make sure that if I'm going to a church that uses primarily New Living Translation, I bring my New Living Bible. If I go to a church that primarily uses NIV, sure. If I go to one that wants NASV, ESV, CSV, there's so many. For me, it's an excuse to go shopping, but... I don't want to put a stumbling block in anyone's way. I want the gospel to be the number one thing that is heard and received. Because that's all that matters. Not my wardrobe preferences. Not my liberty or freedom to eat, drink, do, say, wear, whatever I want. But if I am doing something that is causing someone to stumble, 
what does that do to the witness of the gospel? Now, here's the thing. We also have the opportunity to help those who are weak to grow. So I grew up in the camp of if anybody said the word beer, you must not love Jesus. If there was a bottle of wine at a friend's house, you had a drink. You're going to hell. It's nice knowing you. And I had to learn that for some people, having a drink doesn't affect their conscience or their faith development or journey. For some people, it's okay. If there's a movie that has partial nudity in it and pornography has never been a struggle for you, and I don't know why you would want to, but like, if your faith isn't going to be affected, we have the freedom to do things. But I would dare say, there are very few things that do affect, that don't affect our faith. And beyond that, things that we do have larger implications than just us. And so when it comes to facing these non-moral issues, the question is this. Who does it glorify? And what does it edify? Because knowledge, I know this is fine for me to do, must be balanced by love. And freedom must be balanced by responsibility. And it's really hard to balance when you're on the edge. So rather than saying, how far can I go till it's a sin? How about we start saying, how close can I get to my father? And who can I bring with me? We have a whole lot of people in our church, in our community, in our world, who need to know the love of the Father. And causing someone to stumble is the best way to stop them from understanding it. How do we love well? We love like Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, should be doing the same. Who does it glorify? What does it edify? How are we pointing people to Jesus? How are we building them up? How are we loving well? How are we representing our Father?